0: Welcome to Ahead in the Cloud, where business leaders share what they've learned on their cloud journey. I'm Chad Watt, Emphasis Knowledge Institute researcher and writer. Today, I'm speaking with Nishit Sahay, CIO of Marvel Technologies. Marvel makes microchips used in networking, high-power computing, storage, and running the cloud. Nasheed is also a software guy in a hardware company. We're going to talk about managing IT in an organization full of technology experts. Welcome, Nasheed. Tell me a little bit more about your journey that
1: led you to Marvell Semi. Well, software or hardware, I was always a semi semiconductor person. And there's a reason for it. I mean, I was always intrigued by the technology. It's, It's extremely complex. Not just the technology. The supply chain is complex. The sales channel is complex. The market is very complex. And currently, the technology stack that the whole world is sitting on is completely powered by semiconductors. A lot of people didn't appreciate that before, till like last year, where they couldn't buy a car because you know there was a chip shortage. So that's semiconductor for you. We might have recently become popular, but uh, for folks like us who have been in semiconductor, we had known what our valuation to the you know, technology ecosystem was. So, Marvel has always been this legendary semicon company with tremendous intellectual property. Describe to me what your role and mission is at Marvel as the CIO. So, for me, or I would say for any CIO, the main role is to bring in or enable modern digital technologies and services. So, and I keep reminding the team the first and foremost thing is to make the company more efficient. That's what the technology is for. But at the same time, we focus on resiliency. We have to improve the employee experience. So when somebody comes to work, they should enjoy what they do. But ultimately and lately, one of the more important things is we have to make the company secure. So these are like four pillars that we actually work on. That's my role in CIO. Those are good
0: pillars. Emphasis recently launched our Cloud Radar 2023 report, and we found that cloud is working really well for most companies but one area where there's room for improvement is using cloud to integrate acquisitions. First off, how does that finding strike you? And then let's talk about your Marvell's experience in acquisitions and integration.
1: I I was surprised by the report that it made sense because we think that cloud has been there for a long time, so it should be extremely mature, which is not. It's a journey, and it's it's on a good pace for that journey. Now, when you think about cloud systems, again, cloud is could be SaaS, PaaS, infrastructure service. So in this case, we are talking about, let's say, platform as a service or software as a service. For these type of systems, you have to have a good end state in mind. And they work excellent when you have well-defined end state. You can put your processes in. It automates really well. It's very efficient. But when you're talking about acquisition, there's always a transitionary phase. There are certain things which is common across acquisitions. But most things are depending on the company you acquired. Uh, the five big companies that we went after, uh, the supply chain were uh, significantly different, technologies were significantly different. So when you say, I have a fixed way of doing integration, that doesn't work. So that's one of the flaws, I would say, of the cloud ecosystem, or one of the improvement opportunities of the cloud ecosystem. Now, said that, if you look at the technology that it's enabling lately, the buzzword lately is generative AI, that has tremendous impact on our ability to do good integration. So while it is not fully mature, I don't think it's too far from being like the platform of choice when you're doing integrations. Your second question is about Marvel's acquisition. For us, it's both organically develop our portfolio and complement it with other portfolios from other companies. And we've had streams of successful acquisitions. If you think about it, The big AI play that we have made is significantly due to the last acquisition or one of the uh, recent acquisitions we did, which is InFi. Mm -hmm. So as a company, we decided we'll try both ways of growing. And uh, yeah, we got pretty good at acquiring and integrating them both culturally, system-wise, process-wise.
0: What kind of advice would you have for someone who's looking to get better at integrating acquisitions from kind of a systems and
1: process standpoint? Uh, before I start grabbing all the credit, let me give the credit to the company. I have tried this in other companies. It wasn't this uh, grand success. Now, let me just quantify the success, right? In the example I recently uh, just gave, it's a $10 billion acquisition, a massive size company, extremely complicated, right? It was the Ferrari or semiconductor like before, you know. Now, we integrated all the ERP systems, supply chain, portal, CRN, you know, name it. Within two months of the deal close, now that I don't think anybody can beat. <laughs> so the secret formula here is uh, collaboration, and it's like a Goldilocks situation, right? I mean, you have to get everything right. It's not just IT is doing an amazing job, and you know, business is just waiting on the other end for IT to complete. We all come together, business, IT, our implementation or integration partners like Infosys. We come together and we give our best for this to happen, not for best for what think early in the project we come up with very detailed logistics on what exactly you want to do what are the gaps and how are you going to fill it so when we do the project at that point is pure execution there's not a whole lot of misalignment there is no confusion and my role as a leader or my leader's role within the organization is to just make sure that confusion is on a daily basis eliminated from our ecosystem then there is the alignment piece I talked about. So mostly within the company, we have great alignment because we have done it so many times. The company which comes in and joins us, they normally, with the prior uh, experience, uh, for them it is like, how can you do something like this in two months? I don't think it's possible. Mm-hmm. So you have to drive that alignment. You have to show them the roadmap. If everybody knows the game plan, then it'll happen. Is there something along the way that
0: persuades them that you could do this this quickly? Can you capture a moment when that's like okay, yes, this is real? We convert those doubters.
1: What we do is we do a first round a very draft data conversion to showcase how our whole process is going to work towards the end. So one is a structured plan, and you know when you have some big milestones like your first draft data conversion, you so- showcase the entire ecosystem in your system. It might not be perfect; it doesn't have to be perfect that time, but then it gives them a lot of trust that this thing is going to work. The other piece is when we show uh, them the maturity of our ecosystem, because the key question is, am I stepping down Um, into technology when I'm entering Marvel or am I saving up? And one of the goals that we have had over the last couple of years is we have to keep stepping up our tech stack so that when somebody comes in, they don't miss what they had. They get onto it and they actually enjoy the work. Back to the employee experience portal, a pillar. Very good. Very good. What was uh, Marvel's top-line revenue last year? Yeah, we we went to $5.9 billion uh, last year.
0: $5.9 billion. What's the headcount there?
1: It's around 7,000 employees, most of them engineers.
0: 7,000 employees, mostly engineers, $5.9 billion. How do you run a company that lean to produce that much top-line revenue?
1: Well, we are like Avengers, right? (laughs) You're like Avengers. I wish that one of can really handle the whole army of panels. And that's why we have one extra L on Marvel. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's a play to our name. We are lean. We have excellent employees. All that is fine. But then there's physical amount of work. And that's what, where IT department is coming. You need to push the envelope on automation. When an employee is coming in, their job should be all of our critical thinking, right? Anything which is repeatable, it's manual, automate it. That's been our journey. Like I said, we have pushed the envelope on how much we can. We continuously do. We don't stop it. That's one thing that's powering our growth. I want to get a little more
0: grounding on chips and semiconductors and how fast that industry has evolved. Nishi, think back to when you first started working with semiconductors or microchips, what was the state of the art then? And how does that compare with the product that you guys are selling today
1: when i was let's say in grad school we were talking about microchips we thought well this is an amazing technology you can think you know it's micro and it had its own complication there's the famous Moore's law on how things become smaller and more efficient or you know more throughput ways. now at that time we used to hear about oh there is one day that we're going to hit like in nanometer range and that's it. Technology can't get any better. So you had to talk about, like, you know, other areas, like uh, quantum compute for processors right. or uh, nanotechnology or whatnot. Now, here's the thing. Marvel now is making five nanometer chips. Okay, five nanometer node chips. We are making three nanometer node chips. Soon enough, we'll be making two nanometer node chips. Again, if you're a Marvel fan, we are in quantum realm right now. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're that tiny, imagine the complexity, your physics changes, right? It's not just about like precision uh, design, your physics changes. Now, when you're with that type of a size, and, and by the way, that's, that's why you have the technology stack that you have. That's why you have all these modern cars and computers and data centers and Netflix is because we are able to do that or cell phones, right? We are able to do that. So That's where semiconductor is right now. So when you have something of that small size, you can't be designing on paper, right? You can't be testing things through, uh, you know, simple scripts. And that's where electronic design automation comes in. Now, it's basically, if I have to summarize it, it's a tool set which is for the engineers to design and develop chips. But then now you layer in this complexity of quantum realm, let's say, or 5 nanometers and 3 nanometers or this extremely small size then you can appreciate how complicated these things get. Talking about millions of simulations that's running, there is no room for mistake. So you have to be perfect with your design, with your uh, testing, with your verifications and whatnot.
0: So EDA has been around for a while, but now Marvels in the process of moving EDA to the cloud. Why are you doing that?
1: When we do it successfully, we'll probably be the first one for our size company to do something like this. Now, this is interesting. So why are we the pioneers here, right? Cloud has been there forever. Now, the main thing is there was not a whole lot of optimization. First of all, the technology and the landscape that I just mentioned, it was very complicated. You had to have tons of investment from all the parties, the hyperscalers, the EDA companies, semiconductor, other software developers, uh, development companies to come together and build this platform cohesively, right? I mean, it's much easier to just take it and just move it to infrastructure as a service. That's not what we are aiming for. We are aiming for using the true scalability of cloud to get us to where we want to get to. And I'll give you an, a rough order of magnitude idea on what the scalability means for us, right? So there's one of the projects that you're working on. Well, you know, I'm going to get a little technical here. So the project required around 10, 20,000 core computes on an ideal basis, to run EDA jobs and design jobs and whatnot. But certain points in the project, when it gets got really critical, it required up to more than 70,000 cores. Imagine most companies don't even have it for the entire company. I'm talking one project, 70,000 cores, most companies don't even have it for the entire company. Now, we're talking about a couple of company-sized data centers to be enabled for just one project. That uh, doesn't make sense for anybody to do it on prep. Technologies which can modulate this. But then, again, uh, at a given time, we have 20 projects, right? So I'm just talking one project. So the scalability aspect of it is why we first got into this, right? we got to be scalable. And, you know, as in when you are pushing our envelope on two nanometers, three nanometers, uh, you know, type of node size, this scaling need is just going to get more intense, more extreme. So that was the first one. Second one was the EDA process, even though it has evolved significantly, is still what you might call it a heuristic process, right? Blunt force, try everything out. There's not a whole lot of machine learning that has gone into it. There's not a whole lot of parallel processing that has gone into it. So anybody who has done a data analytics side of the world, things have changed because of massive parallel processing. That's why your machine learning is uh, you know so prevalent. Now that has not happened in the EDA world. What we hope to get First of all, one thing is obvious, we'll get scalability. But on top of it, we want to drive massive parallel processing. So anything uh, which runs for eight or nine weeks. By the way, our jobs can run for nine weeks. You know, cut it down to like, let's say, a few days, right? Wow. And again, generative AI, I think it has a big role to play in making EDA more efficient, process more efficient. And cloud is the place for generative AI. In the
0: 2021, during the pandemic, Marvel was the first to warn the world that we were gonna face a microchip shortage. How did you all become aware of that?
1: Well, we are a very data-driven organization. A lot of companies claim to be, I've been in companies which claim to be, uh, but that again, it's it's a mindset change to be data-driven. We are data-driven, so for us, the information was right out there for us. It's hard for me to believe that others didn't see it. You had to have the courage to step out and say it though, right? It's the culture we are all about transparency. In 2016, when we restructured the company, the first thing that we stood up on was integrity and transparency. And we showcased. We took a hit, by the way. But we showcased. So both our analytical acumen, I would say, but layered that with the transparency and integrity that Marvel always displays. And both got together. We went in front of people and said, look, we're going to have chip shortage. To the head, and then after everybody came and said, "Oh yeah, they also got to get the chip shortage." <laughs> um, Nishit, uh, we can't talk about cloud and
0: semiconductors without talking about the new thing that's going to boost demand for artificial intelligence and specifically generative AI. Honestly, I'm a little bit skeptic. I'm not impressed with the products that I've seen that are out there. Are you a believer in generative AI?
1: So a lot of a lot of it could be that I'm a little biased here. I've invested pretty much most of my free time in the last five, six years in machine learning. And by the way, la- large language models have been there for a long time. Yeah. And I've seen it. I got introduced to, let's say, OpenAI or ChatGPT uh, last year, early last year, uh, as a beta, uh, beta trial. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. Right? It was amazing. And I went into the details of you know, how much training it has done. Just to give you the idea here, right? Earlier models used to talk in like, you know, thousand parameters, maybe a million parameters is really fancy. Mm-hmm. We're talking trillion parameters here. So I'm a big believer in this. And before that, I have worked in large language models, been there forever. Now, what those models were good at is to understand the conversation that we're doing and just make a syntax out of it. You know, you can convert it to an API that a system can understand. They did a fantastic job on it. Generative AI, on top of it, went ahead. They learned the entire world and came back to you right? They crawl through the entire internet. They learned about every article that's out there. They learn every programming language that they can. It's the next level of sophistication on evolution that we're talking about. Where do you see generative AI having the greatest potential to make an impact? Let me preface that with what used to be the problem with AI before. Okay. The problem with AI before was, you know, it was an area for experts. Only a few uh, people who have you know, done masters on it or spend a whole lot of time on it, can really do it. You have to really have good statistical understanding, coding understanding, would not understand complex models. And that's why it never, it isn't adopted by so many people because you can't use it till you know it. What generative AI has done is it has already learned what it has to learn. So you don't need to know how it works. It needs to know you. That makes a huge difference, right? Uh, if you're a regular person who has never done programming in all their life or haven't ever heard of what statistics is, you can still come up with an idea and implement that using generivia. You don't need to know all that. right. That makes a huge difference. Now the uh, the bench trend that we had of all these data scientists now suddenly it went from like maybe a few million at max to seven billion people in the world. So over the next few years, you would see tremendous ideas coming from this area. You have enabled this complicated technology for the entire world to use. You have literally democratized machine learning by doing this or AI by doing this. So it's obviously going to be having a powerful impact in future. But at this time, the technology that I've seen now, mm-hmm. you know, once adopted, they will be a big game changers.
0: Very good. Now let's just bring this back to semiconductors. What does expanded AI driven by cloud mean? For chip makers, including Marvel,
1: yeah, and of course we are loving it, right? <laughs> so uh, we had a big, uh, big uptick uh, in the beginning of the year, and a lot of it was driven by AI. In fact, I think Jim Cramer a couple of weeks ago was saying that uh, Marvel is sitting on a gold mine due to our AI potential. So we are big suppliers to all these ecosystems, which basically power AI. Mm-hmm. Whether you. Talk about like the big names like Nvidia or you know uh, other customers, which are hosting AI, which are training AI, which is the main power behind AI. So, Marvel chip goes into all of them. Now, Marvel as a company defined its strategy around data infrastructure. We realized that's the future. Data is the new oil or data is the new gold, whatever you want to call it. We invested in that, and that's earlier it was about five G or a more, and still about five G or and then there was a big play in call, cloud. We became a major player in cloud, and that's where it is coming back and helping our growth because cloud is what is enabling generative AI. I mean, it's not something you can do in your house, right? Yeah, you were talking about something. Sub- oh, uses compute cores? Yeah, yeah. yeah. think about it. You know, before this thing came into picture, you might be thinking about like the traditional AI models that might require some GPUs, some CPUs, a small rack, and you be done. So for a big cloud provider for one data center, you are talking about one rack setting over there which is posting this one application for AI. Generative AI sits on, on entire data centers, at times on a couple of data centers. So where AI used to be a part of the cloud, now AI is sitting on top of the cloud being the biggest application that's out there. So that's going to drive the growth of cloud pretty significant. is, she, is there anything that you wanted to talk to that we neglected? Yeah. Uh, so just to touch up on all these topics, data analytics. We talked about you know big systems coming and in, intelligent automation. We talked about heavy technologies. Yeah. Problem with that is you need technologists. Now we have been automating everybody else's work. You know who automates my job? Yeah. And that's where I think I'm really hoping for generative AI to come in and do that for me. Automate what I do. So right? like a gen gen oh. AI ITSM type thing or. Something like that, Mm. right? So the biggest problem with this technology is the technology itself. It confuses people. It takes time. We have like a few hundred systems. Where do you go for one data point? Unless until we bring it to you. Generative AI is going to enable ways for you to just sit in a chatbot and ask information. It'll figure out where to go and get data for you, right? So the way I see this is all this technological you know, development or stack development that we've been doing in the company to modernize the company, to drive digital transformation, we are missing this layer on top of it, which, you know, normally people think is a data analytics, that's a layer, and that's an important layer, but a layer which can help us do our day-to-day job more efficiently. And that's why I think this will come in. And we are we're pretty, you know, excited about it. And, you know, I think it has a lot of value to add when it comes to ID uh, transformations or ID driving transformations.
0: This interview is part of our collaboration with MIT Tech Review in partnership with Emphasis Cobalt. Visit our content hub at technologyreview.com to learn more about how businesses across the globe are moving from cloud chaos to cloud clarity. I'm Chad Watt with the Emphasis Knowledge Institute. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.